0: Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Backstory on Marketing. If you haven't already done so, please visit ProRelevant.com and sign up for all of these episodes and podcasts. I am the author of the upcoming book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win. You can find more information on my book at MarketingMachine.ProRelevant.com. Today, we'll be speaking with Joe Kaufman. Joe is responsible for introducing three married couples and countless business relationships. In early 2014, he parlayed his passion for connecting people to founding Setup at, and you can find Setup at setup.us. Setup is a marketing matchmaker. But before becoming an entrepreneur, Joe spent six years leading business development and marketing for Engage, which was acquired by the publicist group and then merged also with Moxie. As Senior Vice President of Business Development and Marketing, he helped the agency build new relationships with high-profile clients such as Cisco, Newell Brands, AMC Theaters, Hanes Brands, and a whole list of others. When Joe isn't working, he loves to discover new music, and he hosts a weekly radio show at gumboshow.com. And he spends a lot of time with his wife, Michelle, and their twins, Joss and Radley. Most weekends, he's supporting his kids' activities, playing his grandmother's trumpet, running and immersing himself in music. Joe, uh, welcome and uh, great to have you today.
1: Thanks so much, Guy. It's such a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Yeah, thank you. So uh, let's get started. So tell us about yourself and what your backstory is on marketing. Yeah,
1: so um, I grew up in North Carolina, even though I had Boston roots. And I graduated from Wake Forest University and spent four years in retail. And uh, retail moved me from New Orleans, Louisiana, to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, to Atlanta, Georgia, where I I finally ran the Eddie Bauer at Lenox Square Mall, which was the biggest of their stores in the Southeast. And at 26 years old, uh, having 50 employees and running that store, I did one holiday season and decided i was done with retail forever <laughs> um, and so i joined a dot com uh, called knowledge storm and spent 8 years there and we went from all thinking we were going to be millionaires to you know layoffs and things over time during the dot com bust to eventually uh, selling to a recently company that went public called tech target bought knowledge storm Uh, for $58 million, used about half of their IPO money. And then I went to join a small uh, digital agency called SpunLogic. It was probably 60 or so people that soon got acquired by Engage, uh, which ended up about 250 people. And then we sold, as you said, to Publisys six years after after I joined. Uh, And uh, our revenue when we sold was roughly $42, $43 million. And of that $43 million of annual revenue, I was responsible for probably 60% of the clients that made up that revenue, uh, maybe a little bit more, maybe 65%. But <clears throat> And uh, when when we were acquired by Publis's group and merged with Moxie, as you mentioned, it became clear to me that I... You know, while it was a very, very good agency and great holding company, uh, it wasn't going to be the same kind of agency that I had joined six years earlier. And for me, I really loved matchmaking. As you as you mentioned in my bio, it's, you know, a hobby. But then I, I definitely love connecting people together uh, at, at my company setup. Our purpose is to unlock the power of human connections. That's our real purpose. And, you know, it's that is in my personal life, that is in my professional life. And I think the, the people that I've hired and the, that my team all would agree that they love also unlocking the power of human connections. So that's the path that brings us, you know, it's we just had our eighth anniversary in February uh, of 2022, and um, it's been quite a journey
0: yeah wow eight eight years is uh not an easy thing and then to uh, and I know you guys are very successful and you're definitely in a very interesting space and I like that concept well I found uh, I helped set up three marriages and then I also do that for businesses <laughs> when I le- when I saw that i I really smiled that was pretty good <laughs>
1: Well, and uh, they're not all still married guy, but I never claimed to be a marriage counselor. <laughs>
0: Yeah, very good. I like that. <laughs> so, uh, so what kind of uh, agencies and and brands do you typically work for to uh, build those relationships? Yeah.
1: So the way we normally work is most of the brands that we work with are on the medium to large size. So we've worked with a lot of Fortune 500 brands, as well as some you know mid market kind of companies too. And the way our process normally works is that we work with the client to help them write a brief to outline and clarify exactly what they're trying to accomplish from a marketing standpoint. Then we look across a network, a group of agencies to determine if any of those agencies are a really good fit to solve that problem. Um, And we put those agencies through a very rigorous vetting process up front before we even will work with them, before we even write the brief with the client or ha- where there's a need. But if any of those agencies are a good fit on paper to solve the problem, they're capable, they have the client experience or the, or the, the you know uh, discipline expertise, then we typically will introduce that client to three or four different agencies that are all capable. And the reason we do that, as any good matchmaker will tell you, there's compatibility on paper and then there's chemistry. And we can predict compatibility or compatibility, (laughs) uh, but compatibility on paper all day long. We can't always predict the chemistry. So by introducing the client to three or four different agencies, we're allowing the client to own that communication and and, and determine if there's chemistry and determine if they want a second date with any of the agencies, to use the dating analogy again. Um, On the other hand, when we write the brief, if it's clear that the need of the client is different than just introducing them to three or four agencies and getting out of the way, then we can work with the client to actually perform a custom agency search where... We run the entire process from writing the profile of the ideal agency by interviewing all the key stakeholders, building a really long list of potential agencies, narrowing the pool down to a much more manageable group, sending out some requests for information questions that are relatively easy for the agency to answer you know, in a half hour or something, Narrowing the pool down based on those answers, issuing an r f p uh, to a handful of agencies, and then picking the top three or four to pitch the client, and then helping the client ultimately make a decision so we were able to to help the client find the right agency, whether it's from the pool of agencies that are already working with us or a much larger pool that don't work with us,
0: yeah. Yeah, very interesting. And I think you're right, though. I think, uh, you know, I, I, one of the challenges, I think, with selecting an agency is there's the differences between them. Certainly, there's personality and uh, there's certainly some people have a creative bent in one direction versus versus another. But if that chemistry doesn't match, then it's uh, it, it's uh, well, it's just like a marriage. If that chemistry doesn't match, boy, it's uh, not going to not going to do very well over the long term. And and it's an expensive
1: right, right, right. You need you need you need both both capability and chemistry. And I used to think it was 50-50, you know, 50% capability and 50% chemistry. Now I believe it's actually probably 35% hmm. capability and 65% chemistry. Chemistry is probably even more important than capability.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, even in our relationships with our clients, uh, you know, it, if you don't have that rapport and that chemistry, there's always uh, uh, as good as we all try to be. And, and you know, I, I think just about every agency is is excellent at what they do, but there's always things that go wrong. There's something that gets in the way, some whatever it happens. And uh, you need that chemistry and that rapport to be able to get past that so that you're uh you know so that you really are able to deliver really really good work for the agencies and that i think you're right i think it is definitely 65%. It's almost like you know there's uh, in in any conversation 80% of the message is in the in the body language and only 20% is in the wording so maybe it's something right. similar to that yeah. I, oh yeah, for sure. So, so has that uh, changed at all since COVID? Uh has the inter, has the turnover gotten better or worse or has the, have the relationships changed significantly?
1: So the short answer is turnover is increased on the brand side with marketers and with the agencies in terms of staff and employees because of I'm not calling it the great resignation, I'm calling it the talent wars. You know, it's essentially and but we're finding mm. we had our busiest quarter ever in terms of brands looking for agency support because eight brands are leaner than they ever were some of them you know laid off people early in covid mm. and then found themselves pretty shorthanded in terms of being able to execute on their marketing initiatives and right now you know because there are more marketing needs than there are staff trying to. If you were as a client trying to add headcount for creative, you know, art director, a copywriter, a email marketing expert, a social media expert, a, a analytics person, a project manager, an account manager, if you wanted to add all of those headcount, it's really tough to even if you could find the people, which it's hard to do. Do you really have the room in your organization to bring on six, seven new people who some of whom are specialists in their craft and not generalists? So we're seeing that brands, clients are, are hiring more and more agency support because with one single, you know, agreement with an agency, they can get all of those discipline experts to work on their account. Um, rather than trying to hire them all separately. And also as projects and needs scale up and scale down, you can scale up and scale down that agency relationship a lot easier than, you know, if, if worse come to worse and you really, really needed to cut expenses, it's a lot easier to cut the agency than it is to lay off seven people. Um, So we're seeing a lot of velocity right now in terms of we're busier than we've ever been in the 8 year history in terms of the total number of introductions we're making between brands and agencies
0: yeah and I, I think your 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 point is definitely right the agencies are they have the ability to scale up and scale down a lot more easily uh, you know, in, in however they do it, but because they have the management team in place and then the agency, you know, account management in place, and then they've got, you know, people that can, you know, execute on various things, it it is a lot easier. And, and I think you're right too. It's, uh, it is hard for uh, companies to, um, hire folks, find the folks, Mm -hmm. poach the folks nowadays. And, and uh, and then and then they don't have really a guarantee, so to speak, that the person that they actually hired is actually going to be able to deliver on yeah. what they wanted to hire. And so that is that is tough. That is really tough for them. Uh, that's for sure. So what do you think the uh, the biggest uh, challenges are now in in uh, in the post covid world for finding an agency? Is there a is there a lot of demand now, like you said, or how does that how does that work?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're. The challenge with finding an agency, this is actually not even post-COVID, pre-COVID. This has always been the challenge is, first of all, marketers are somewhat limited by their network, right? I only know who I know and agencies change pretty rapidly in terms of an agency that was fantastic two years ago may not be anymore. An agency that was not well-known two years ago might be great now. Um, so so we're limited by asking some colleagues or friends, what agencies they've worked with and that kind of thing. Secondly, time finding, you know, go ahead and Google a user experience agency and see how many thousands and thousands of results come up or, you know, whatever public relations firm or, or advertising agency or, or web design, whatever the thing is you need. It's really inefficient to just search. Um, And, you know, uh, so, so it takes a long time to find the right agency and narrow in on the one that's the best fit for you. And then the other thing is vetting, vetting the agencies and putting them through a process. Um, It's difficult. It's time consuming. It's a challenge to, okay, again, I've got this list of a thousand agencies that came up on a Google search. How do I differentiate them? They all say they're good at everything, right? (laughs) And they're not right. So one of Those are all problems or challenges that we solve for the client at Setup because we've already put the agencies through a really very rigorous vetting process. It takes about a month for us to complete. It includes us talking to, surveying current clients of the agency and past clients of the agency that no longer work with them because we've found that they're the most candid about what the real strengths are of the agency and their weaknesses. We also, you know, survey the key staff within the agency to understand, one, how self-aware they are, you know, do they do, do their answers jibe with what current and past clients say, but also to understand, you know, where they're going, what they feel their real strengths are and that kind of thing. And that whole vetting process helps us really get to know the agencies well, it also holds a mirror up to the agency and allows them to learn more about themselves and their strengths and weaknesses. But also it sometimes even uncovers opportunities because we'll sometimes uh, survey a past client that says, man, I really, we asked them a question like, what do you wish this agency could have, could have done for you? And sometimes the answer is something that they've added since they stopped working with the agency Mm. or something. So that whole process we call it our agency assessment process um, it helps us upfront cut down on some of that information overload of a Google search of being able to help the client only work with agencies that have been really well vetted only work with agencies that have demonstrated success with you know similar clients in the industry and similar, Types of projects and things like that, and um, so it's a, it's a time thing, it's an efficiency thing, and it's a not limiting the client to just a couple of agencies that they've heard of.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I can uh, definitely see that. And uh, so, d- do you think now uh, the agencies or the searches are trying to consolidate, you know, down to let's say, you know, just a handful of agencies versus having mm-hmm. you know a whole bunch and being very specialized with each one is. Uh, how do you how do you see that as the, the trend in the industry or is it yeah. is it still just totally dynamic going back and forth uh, depending upon the company?
1: It's a pendulum that definitely swings back and forth and we see it every year or two. There's a <clears throat> we'll see um, some clients that really want to work with one agency of record, a general agency that we found that they are often very, very good they're often good at many things. They have a larger um, host of disciplines of marketing that they cover, but they aren't necessarily specialists. So they're not super deep in a, in a specific Mm. discipline. We have other clients that like to manage a group of specialists. And the challenge there is that the specialists Aren't always seeing the real big picture of what the company is trying to accomplish, and um, and it's a lot more management for the client to manage multiple agencies instead of having one quote neck to choke, you know, one one, one agency. Mm. Uh, I I personally would, if I were the client, I would prefer to manage multiple specialists mm. rather than one big agency of record because. I feel that I would. I'm willing to spend more time and energy managing multiple agencies, but getting the dis, the best of the best in terms of discipline expertise. But we see that pendulum swing back and forth. We, the yeah. other pendulum we see, guy, is uh, companies that want to build in-house agencies and in-house, you know, capabilities versus partnering with age, external agencies to do work and. Um, we see that go back and forth. Uh, many big brands try to build their in-house agency as a shared service that maybe multiple brands within the agency come Mm. to the shared service for marketing. The challenge with that is that often, you know, the kinds of people that want to go work for an agency are different than the kinds because they want to work on multiple clients in multiple different industries are somewhat different than the kinds of people that want to work on one for one company and one brand. Um, so, and also one of the, yeah. one other piece with, with, with the in-house agencies versus external is that um, often those shared services teams are strapped with capacity issues. And so it leaves the brands that are the clients, the internal clients sometimes frustrated trying to get, good quality work out of that internal agency and then they say i'm just going to go hire my own agency outside of the shared services
0: well and especially too if if you have a you know a, if you're a family of brands and they all have certain things that are specific to a specific holiday and uh, and all of a sudden they need a whole bunch of stuff for the memorial day sale or the and then you know you got this peak in demand that that the internal agency may not be able to handle And I and I think you're right, too, that there's no question even for us when we uh, one of the we do like quarterly uh, updates for a lot of our our analytics work. And, um, you know, so that's four times a year that uh, for our clients, we're super busy. If they were going to hire and do that internally, that person that would be doing our work, so to speak, would have nothing to do for three or four, you know, three more, maybe even six weeks out of the quarter. And, uh, you know, and and these people uh, in our industry, analytics and in your, you know, in in agencies, these creative people, they don't want to sit around doing nothing for six weeks. Uh, You know, they'd rather be doing, you know, something that's very interesting and very, you know, sparks their curiosity and really gets their juices going and And I think that's one of the big challenges uh, on both sides, you know, even for the agencies to be able to keep those people and keep them really busy and give them then the new, the new deal every, you know, every, every once in a while, Hey, you got to work on this one and then this one and this one, and then jump back and jump back. Um, You know, that's, uh, that, that requires a special type of person and they don't want to, you know, be bored, so to speak, necessarily with working on an internal agency and trying to run an internal agency. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, so is there uh, any big difference between uh, larger brands doing a search for a larger brand versus a smaller brand or potentially even a startup? You know, if you get a startup and an IPO and you're about to try and get on the Super Bowl or whatever, uh, you know, (laughs) it's the search is different there than otherwise.
1: Well, if you're trying to get in a Super Bowl, the search is very different because that's a full on. RFP process usually, because those are millions and millions of dollars. But to answer your question, um, smaller agencies usually hire, sorry, smaller clients, smaller brands usually hire smaller agencies that are a little more generalists because they can't afford to hire four different agencies. They only have the budget to hire one. And that one better be able to do at least many of the things that the client really needs. The larger the client, the more likely they are to work with specialist agencies, either a big AOR and some specialists or all specialists because they, you know, they hire an agency specifically to do CRM and marketing automation. They hire an agency specifically to do content creation. They hire an agency specifically to do public relations or web design or app development or whatever the thing is that they need help with. They know that they're a large agency, a record probably doesn't have all of the chops to do all of those individual things well. So the bigger the brand, the more likely they are to hire a group of specialists. And, um, you know, the smaller brands have to hire a generalist that, that's smaller on the smaller side in terms mm. of staff, too, because they can't afford the same scale that a bigger yeah. agency could yeah. provide.
0: Yeah. yeah. And Nor I think that's it. on both And it's on both sides as well, uh, because, you know, the fees are one thing, but also you you need personnel to manage all that. And, uh, you know, then the more you have going on on the outside, you got to have more people on the inside to manage what's going on on the outside. So, yeah. So um, the market and marketing has uh, certainly changed over the last, uh, well, certainly since COVID and pre-COVID versus post-COVID. And. And uh, and we definitely saw it. Uh, you know, I was uh, my book has a uh, basically has that as the, one of its premises, is that there is a big big difference uh, pre COVID versus post COVID and technology. What do you see then now post COVID or as the biggest challenges facing uh, facing agencies and even then on the other side the brands that uh, that they're working with?
1: It's it's funny you ask that question now because we're in the midst of wrapping up our fourth annual marketing relationship survey. Um, And in fact, it's going to close soon. I'm not sure by the time this airs, we may already have closed it, but um, essentially what this is the fourth year that we've looked at those, that marketing landscape and how it's changed. And also those relationships between brands and agencies, that's sort of part of it. Um, Interestingly in last year's survey, uh, which uh, we were fortunate enough to have AdAge published it on their homepage and the print and sent it out via all their newsletters and things, so they it, it got widely promoted and by AdAge. Um, but what their headline was that within the next six months, one in three brands will change agencies, and uh, I kind of chuckled when I saw the headline because. I think at any given moment, one in three brands is thinking about changing agencies. Uh, that was validated by our, our that's validated almost every year in the survey, which is, you know, two thirds of the clients are perfectly happy with their agency and one third or not and going to going to switch. Um, what what do clients care about? And what do brands care about? Clients care about, well, th- what they don't care about is the proximity of their agency, whether the agency is down the street from them or not. Especially hmm. during post-COVID, we all learned that we could work remotely successfully and that we don't need to be in the room with the with our customers, with our clients, with our um, agencies. Um, they don't care about whether the agencies win a lot of awards. They don't care so much about the seniority of the team or whether or not they have specialized capabilities. They do care about, which this was heartening because... These are things that agency people can control. They care about creativity. They care mm-hmm. about professionalism. They care about chemistry. They care about cost. Um, and they're looking for transparency in the relationship. They're looking for vulnerability. They're looking for some employee retention, uh, even though the agency business is typically as pretty tr- transient in terms of people coming and going. Um, there is value in some longevity and institutional knowledge and that kind of thing. And they just want clear expectations. You know, we, part of that, this survey is to understand what clients wish agencies knew and what agencies wish clients knew. And it's kind of funny because they're like, the, the the clients wish the agencies would act as more strategic partners and agencies wish that the clients would let them do more strategic work. <laughs> So what's the problem here? There's a disconnect, and the, the answer is, you know, the, the clients say things like, "I don't think the agency truly understands bureaucratic red tape within my organization, or or you know, other priorities that aren't just this marketing stuff that I'm working on with you," and and agencies want to be let into the inner circle and part of the planning meetings and all of those things. So it's just there, there's a you know, that transparency, that vulnerability, that clear expectations that would go a long way in, in really improving relationships between brands and agencies.
0: Yeah, that is uh, definitely funny. And I think, I think you're right on the outside, um, you know, even with our relationships uh, on the outside, we are always providing kind of the strategic look at whatever it is that we produce, And, um, and yet in terms of actually getting across what we think, you know, is going to be potentially important, or at least getting that feedback so that we can build it into what, what, what we deliver, uh, is sometimes, uh, is sometimes lacking. And, uh, you know, and you're, you're basically, you know, instead of being, you know, the, at least (laughs) the collar on the dog, you're, you're kind of the tail (laughs) and you find, you find out when that, when that dog starts to wag its tail, you don't find out, you know, right next to when it, you know, you know, when they first heard it. So, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's a, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good, uh, good point. So uh, uh, otherwise, uh, you know, there's things like, uh, and we were just at an event together on NFTs Uh, I'm just curious uh, how you see that now influencing agencies. Are there going to be now NFT specialists and or are they going to be generalized into a digital or is it going to be both or all of the above?
1: Yeah, well, that's one reason that I think a lot of clients hire agencies is because they rely on their agencies to keep their fingers on the pulse of emerging trends. You know, if you're working for a giant hotel company or for a company that sells, um, you know, soda, or you're working for a company that sells hammers and, and, and paint and and home renovation supplies, you're focused on selling more paint and hammers and, or selling more soda or selling more booking, more hotel rooms. You're not focused on every emerging trend that as it comes along, I mean, even with social media, there was, uh, Friendster, and then there was uh, I'm I'm going to forget. MySpace where, is gone. MySpace, thank you, MySpace. Yep, yep, and the yep. Facebook, and then Facebook, and then Instagram, and then Snapchat, and TikTok, mm, and mm. whatever's next, right? And, and, and Metaverse. And I'm not saying that some of the some of these emerging technologies will stick you know instagram and and snapchat are here to stay right uh tiktok is here to stay i think but and there were some time there were days when we weren't sure that tiktok was right, going to make it right, right? right um right. for a number of reasons but my point is that that all of these trends nft and cryptocurrency and um and, and blockchain i think elements of them are here to stay agencies are Part of their job is to keep their finger on the pulse and be helpful and advise their clients as to how to get into them in a safe way. And I would say that clients and agencies need to reserve a portion of their budget for testing. You might not spend 95% of your money on on your budget on on NFTs, but man, you should be spending 5% of it so that you're... If it really does become a massive part of our world or our new world, then at the very least, you are in it. Um, so I, I think, but I think that agencies are more likely to stay abreast of those trends because they live and breathe it all day, every day, versus having to take time away to sell some more hammers and lumber or take time away to try to get more right. hotels, hotel rooms booked.
0: Well, and I think, uh, you know, even going back to when the, uh, the internet started, uh, you know, how many domain names were, uh, you know, not taken? When I think of Delta.com paying, I don't know, nobody knows how much they had to pay, but if they had used, you know, even one or 2% of their budget to understand what was going on, they would have realized that they need to protect their domain, uh, you know, Delta.com or whatever, just so that they could be ready in case it really took off. And then uh, secondly, though, I think those companies that get in early, uh, like get into Snapchat early on or get into Instagram early on, they can get a very short term, very high return because it's kind of, it's, it's, you know, it's the wild, wild west. So you can try a whole bunch of stuff, get known for it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you get all of that brand, you know, brand value out of it. And, and and those companies that that go in late, they kind of only get the mature growth or mature value, as opposed to that early on big value.
1: I'll, I'll give you a perfect example, since your your book is about marketing in the post COVID world. E <clears throat> um, commerce is a huge example of this. The brands and companies, particularly retail brands or restaurant brands, that were already involved in e-commerce, had already set up their e-commerce infrastructure and already were selling goods online, whether that good is delivered by um, you know, FedEx or UPS or USPS, or whether that good is, I'm going to drive by the restaurant and pick up a takeout order or BOPUS, buy online, pick up in store, whatever, whatever the delivery mechanism is. Um, those that had already gotten into e-commerce pre-COVID emerged really strong because they already could deliver to the new norm that was set because of the pandemic that I might not want to step foot in the store or in the restaurant, but I'm still willing to eat the food or I'm still willing to buy the item. And um, those that didn't have that infrastructure in place really struggled to, for example, hire agencies that can support e-commerce, but who were swamped, you know, because they're so, so, so to your point, the early adopters of, as new technologies emerge, the early adopters, uh, I think are in a better position to thrive long-term than those that are waiting to see if it's gonna pan out.
0: Right, right, and a a good example of that is uh, Chick-fil-A. They uh, had online ordering figured out well before the, 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 the COVID lockdown started. And they were then able to, once they were able to open up again, they were able to take orders immediately, whereas a lot of the other, uh, you know, drive-through restaurants were not. And uh, so you could order online or and then pick up, like you said, pick up in the drive-through, and and Chick Fil A was just uh, they exploded during COVID because yeah. they were ready because they had the technology ready so that when people were coming back and didn't want to come into the restaurant but were ready to do the drive-through, <laughs> the BOPUS. I like that I'm going to use that one, <laughs> but you know being able to pick up their sales just uh, just exploded, and I they you know you can just see how well they've done compared to the yeah. other ones.
1: I have a related example. For, speaking of Chick Fil A. Uh, I, I hired a, a really smart and talented young man to set up who found he got an opportunity to take his dream job, um, which is that he he was hired by Chick-fil-A before the pandemic began to help them roll out delivery. So mm. initially they worked with DoorDash and Uber Eats and, and the other delivery services to deliver food. And they had to figure out which food travels well for delivery, which hmm. food doesn't. They had to figure out how to efficiently get it to the people that were ordering it at their homes. But again, they were looking at delivery as a as a distribution model before the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, you can bet that delivery service became huge. And um, this young man is thriving within the company because, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, everybody started looking at him and saying, "Wow, you're the guy that's going to help us get this food to the customers who don't want to go sit in our restaurant right now."
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, uh, and and it and I think you know to to you know the point about being able to have a couple of percent of your budget ready for experiments, you know whether it's NFTs nowadays or whatever the next big thing is or the metaverse or whatever, it's uh, it's definitely being ready. And, uh, you know, and if it you know, I I think there's still a lot of challenges with NFTs and and, uh, but nevertheless, to be ready to uh, either do some short term things and experiment and find out that they work or find out that they don't and then be ready when that when that explosion starts to take off, that you can ride that wave going all the way up. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think brands can can really do a good job with that. And then, you know, getting back to agencies and, 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 and brand relationships. Uh, you know, the if the brand, if the agencies aren't bringing those ideas, or if the brands aren't asking for it, then I don't think they're you know they're probably doing themselves a disservice by by not you know thinking about outside the box as to what what might be possible coming up over the next uh, you, you know a year, maybe it's even six months, or maybe it's a little further out.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So uh, anyway, we're about uh, out of time. I'd love to keep going, but uh, anything anything you'd like to close with I, that we didn't I get would, to talk about?
1: Yeah, there's one other thing, one other service that we provide that might be interesting to some of your listeners, and that's what we call uh, marketing ecosystem planning. And what that means is that in some cases, the client's not ready to hire an agency yet. What they really need to understand is what's the right balance or mix between internal resources, you know, hiring headcount and external partners, agencies or otherwise. And so one of the things we launched because clients were demanding this, we just finished a project for a fortune 500 company that they weren't ready to hire an agency yet. They really truly needed to understand what their Nirvana should look like from a marketing ecosystem standpoint. So we help them paint the picture of what the ecosystem should look like. And then we help them understand where they are today and get a roadmap to to how they get from where they are today to where they should be. And by the way, once we identified some of those external partner buckets that were empty or, or leaky, we can also help them find agencies. But this is the before you get there, there's an ecosystem that needs to be planned for before we can start filling those buckets so anyway it's it's we call it a marketing ecosystem planning and it's a, it's another service that we offer to clients um, that are truly not quite ready to hire agencies or anything like that
0: yeah understood and uh, and I think you're right and and potentially even for uh, you know, brands that are in kind of a a rebuild, a refresh mode where they, you know, had maybe a down quarter, maybe something went wrong. Maybe they are just recovering from supply chain issues or where they were just acquired and, you know, they've yeah. got challenges. And then, you know, the, this, then they really, not only do they need the strategy on how they're going to recover and get out of the hole that they're in, But then as they're trying to get out of that hole is what is the right ecosystem? I could see that being very valuable for brands exactly like that Um, and and making sure they put those partners in place that can really help them propel. Because otherwise the marketing team is going to lose. And then it's marketing for most of these brands. If marketing doesn't work, they're going to lose.
1: Yeah. In this case. The client that hired us was brand new VP of marketing with a lot of direct reports and they had a lot of direct reports and they were doing lots and lots and lots of marketing projects, but they weren't really looking carefully at should they be doing all these marketing projects and are they the best, you know, is the output the best quality and all of these things. And the other thing is that um, a lot of the marketing efforts were because several companies came together to become a larger company that's a Fortune 500. In some cases, her predecessors were running marketing like they were still a smaller company and working with, you know, um, did they have the right team in place for them to scale to the next level? Do they have the right set of partners to scale to the next level? So we were, that particular project was about helping them understand that. And now, now that we've delivered our output from that, they definitely are going to need help figuring out how to... They're going to have to hire some people. They're going to have to hire some agencies potentially, or at least review their agencies and make sure they're getting what they need out of them. So anyway, uh, I, I love that service because it's very consultative, and it's a way that we can help the clients think through that ecosystem and that perfect mix of internal and external resources that um, sometimes the client is too close to it, you know, to, to, to be able to really get a fresh set of eyes and perspective from the outside to understand what could be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and definitely to support those existing or potentially relationships that need to be replaced. uh, Definitely see that. And, uh, and, uh, and I could see a whole lot of different triggers, uh, you know, industry downturn, you know, supply chain, whatever those problems are, as well as, you know, new hires or whatever, where you, You just got to get a a good feel for what's going on before you, you know, commit to the uh, to trying to deliver on a strategy when you realize that, hey, my team isn't there. And the team is not only the internal side, but it's the external. You've got to have that 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 uh, the capability and the chemistry with the uh, the externals.
1: Right, right, right. right.
0: Yeah. Well, Joe, it's been great. I really appreciate it. And uh, it was so good to be able to set up our podcast relationship (laughs) for today. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. I thought I'd uh, I thought I'd try and uh, figure out a way to get all that in there. Our and, name uh, is, v- the chemi- is
1: very intentional. Yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we were able to get some chemistry going. So uh, <laughs> even got some messages and and uh, whatever. But in any case, um, for the uh, listeners, uh, please stay tuned. We've got uh, many many other videos in this series coming on the backstory. On marketing, please visit marketingmachine.prorelevant.com, and uh, if you'd like to, go there and you'll be able to download the first chapter of my book. And then there's also valuable excerpts and a whole bunch of other stuff. And if you liked this podcast, please definitely give me uh, give us five stars, and that way it'll get proliferated out to uh, a whole bunch of other for uh, a whole a whole bunch of other folks and uh, other listeners. Joe, thank you so much.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Guy. I appreciate you having me.
0: Absolutely.